In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents... Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop story. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny... One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Racing to the runoffs. I've been proud to endorse uh, Charlie Bailey for lieutenant governor, Representative B. Wynn for secretary of state, and William Bodie for labor commissioner. Welcome to a special edition of the Political Georgia podcast from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the podcast we want you to depend on for the most on-the-ground coverage of the 2022 election. I'm your host, Greg Bluston, along with the other host, Patricia Murphy. We are two of the political insiders here at the AJC. A reminder, if you're just listening to us for the first time, please follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Coming up later, we'll talk about Herschel Walker's response to the coverage of his four children, and we'll set you up for a big day of January 6th testimony. But first, it's runoff election day in Georgia. I've been proud to endorse uh, Charlie Bailey for lieutenant governor. Representative B. Wynn for Secretary of State, and William Bodie for Labor Commissioner. I have worked with all three of them. I've worked closely with them all. I am proud of who they are, and I'm proud that they reflect Georgia. That was Stacey Abrams speaking to our friend Chuck Williams over on the WRBL show and his podcast. And Patricia, Stacey Abrams is taking a big gamble by endorsing three candidates in these very low low turnout runoffs that we're going to have tonight Secretary of State, Lieutenant Governor, and Insurance Commissioner, a loss of any one of the three sets up a very awkward scenario of basically what, you know, someone else on the ticket, perhaps even a Lieutenant Governor candidate who she'd have to work hand in hand in, not being her first pick for that job. Greg, I think the most interesting race of the ones that you just mentioned is that Lieutenant Governor's race, because just like you said, Stacey Abrams has come out really affirmatively choosing three of these candidates, not knowing for sure that all three are going to be able to win. And the lieutenant governor's race is one of those where Kwanzaa Hall, who she has endorsed against and chosen chosen, chosen Charlie Bailey over, it's hard to say, Kwanzaa Hall won the most votes on election day. So she's really banking on the fact that her sway and her input can change the trajectory of that race. Um, with a low turnout event like this, I mean, those are the types of voters who are going to be tuning in and hearing somebody like Stacey Abrams weigh in on races like this. So I don't think it's out of the question that her endorsement could make a big difference in this race. But she's definitely taking a risk here. She's putting a lot on the line to come out for somebody like Charlie Bailey um, when he is, he is not the leading candidate at this point. Yeah, and there's reasons for her to make these picks. Um, Bean Wynn is basically inherited her seat, succeeded her in her Atlanta-based seat in the Georgia legislature. Those two know each other very well. They've they've worked together over the years, and Bean Wynn has become sort of a voting rights champion in the state legislature. William Bodie, same thing. Uh, Stacey Abrams and, and know each other well. He's he's a, a 
now a veteran member of the Georgia legislature and has deep roots in state law and state legislature. And then with Charlie Bailey, he was the 2018 candidate, Democratic candidate for attorney general, narrowly lost to Republican Chris Carr, was going to mount a comeback, was going to run for that seat again until he was persuaded with the help of senior Democratic Party leaders to say, hey, you might lose to Jen Jordan. She's got a clear shot at this. Why don't you switch over to lieutenant governor, which is a completely unsettled field. And he got in before Kwanzaa Hall even got him when it was very unsettled. And in many senses, you can see that Democrats want someone else on the ticket who can counter all these charges that we know have already come up and will continue to come up. That Democrats are for defunding the police and they're soft on crime. Well, having a former prosecutor who's also worked on the other side of the council table working in defense work as well could be a powerful antidote to that if he gets the nomination. And of course, that's a big if because Kwanzaa Hall is a deep well of support. We have not seen him campaigning aggressively. He skipped the Atlanta Press Club debate. He's he's had more events since then. Um, he skipped the Atlanta Press Club debate without even an explanation why, which upset many Democrats as well. But at the same time, he has a, you know, he he ran for Atlanta mayor. He was a city councilman. He was briefly a US House member. So he's got this, you know, deep name recognition that will be hard for Charlie Bailey to match. Yeah, but it's also you ha- if you take a step back and look at what Stacey Abrams is saying with these choices, she is saying this is the ticket I want to run with. And this is the tableau of the Democratic Party that I want to paint. And in two of those picks, it has to be said she is endorsing against black candidates. Mm-hmm. And Charlie Bailey is white. B. Wynn is Asian, obviously. Um, So it creates this multi-ethnic, multi-racial ticket to be running on in the state of Georgia. And she said, I'm proud of these candidates because this is what Georgia looks like. And so I think she is also looking to paint a portrait that there is room in the Democratic Party for all voters, all races. And these are the candidates that we have as well. That's not to say these people, of course, not to say they're not qualified, not to say that she doesn't genuinely like them. But I think it is a statement also about the type of ticket and specifically the ticket she wants to run on and run with in November. And Charlie Bailey, if he wins, would be the only white male on the ticket, uh, on the Democratic ticket, which is, you know, this was a party that not so long ago nominated Jason Carter to, to, as his gubernatorial nominee. In 2018, had multiple white males on the ticket, including John Barrow for Secretary of State and Charlie Bailey for AG. And then Bean Wen would be history-making in a, in a much different way as, as the first Asian-American candidate elected to statewide office if she wins. So we'll be watching that one. But her race has gotten a lot less attention than it would otherwise get because of what happened on the Republican side. And that, that was, of course, Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, the incumbent, holding off a Trump-backed challenge from Jody Heiss. Jody Heiss, the congressman, of course, has repeatedly said he would have worked with Donald Trump to overturn Georgia's election results, you know, promotes false lies of uh, lies about election fraud and, and, and issues with, with Georgia's election. Once Brad Raffensperger won the nomination, the Republican nomination outright, the GOP side of the race got a lot less tense, fraught, uh, newsworthy in many sense. And there's not a single statewide Republican runoff on the GOP ballot, which means that, you know, the biggest races now going on over there on that side of the ballot are the two congressional races that will basically decide who represents the 6th district and the 10th district, because those are so conservative drawn. Those are so drawn for Republicans, Patricia, that it'll be really difficult for for any Democrat to even have a chance at winning. And in both those cases, we have another sort of 
sort of test of Donald Trump's staying power because Donald Trump has endorsed Jake Evans in the sixth and Vernon Jones in the 10th. And both those candidates are heading into the runoffs tonight as underdogs. Yes. And it will be fascinating to see if there are enough Trump, not just Trump aligned voters, but Trump following voters to get those candidates over the threshold. It's just not clear right now. And I think that's why these two races are such a great test. And they're so important to watch, to your point, because I have had a number of people, when I used to work in D.C., and so I've had a lot of D.C. reporters reach out to me after the 2020 elections and then into 2020 saying, where did Marjorie Taylor Greene come from? Why have I never heard of her? Why didn't I hear about her during her race? And of course, that is because her race, really the action was on the Republican side. That was in the summer when all sorts of other races were happening. And so um, in a strange way, somebody like Marjorie Taylor Greene slipped in almost under the notice without the notice of national press. And then she's done nothing but make national headlines since she got to Washington. But it was the crucial moment for her was winning her primary in the 14th district. And so I think when people start to hear in the future about either Mike Collins or Vernon Jones in particular, or a Jake Evans or Rich McCormick, this is the moment when their fate was cemented. Now, I've heard from a lot of Democrats in the 6th district who said, hey, you can't count us out. We are going to, we have a chance. We have a chance to win this race. It's not to say anybody's out before the votes are counted, but this district in the 6th has been specifically drawn to give that to Republicans so mm. the Republican can win. That was the whole point of redistricting. Yeah. And so if, if Republicans don't win that seat after they've gone to all that trouble, they're going to have to go back to the drawing board, uh, literally, and figure out how to redraw a race that they can't win. And there is a reason why the incumbent there, Lucy McBath, a Democrat, decided not to run in the 6th District. Um, now that it stretches all the way up to Dawson County, I know, Patricia, me and you have spent a lot of time at the, the pool room in downtown Dawsonville, <laughs> yes, which is a, a great eatery, a very conservative territory, and so conservative that Lucy McBath said, you know what, I'm going to take pack my bags and move next door to the 7th District and run against Carolyn Bordeaux instead. And of course, she defeated Carolyn Bordeaux. 6th District, as you mentioned, was Rich McCormick versus Jake Evans. Rich McCormick was the runner-up in 2020 against Carolyn Bordeaux, back when that district was much more of a swing district. Now it's drawn for a conservative. And he still has that sort of staying power that he had in 2020. Remember all those ads, they don't stop at a district line. So a lot of the seventh district voters who saw a lot of his ads, the sixth district voters saw them too. And that's helped him. He's got a lot of outside support from powerful outside interest groups and, you know, is not running with Trump's endorsement, but also not running away from Donald Trump in any way. And that's the same thing that's happening in the 10th district, which is maybe the, one of the most fascinating races in the nation. Because in that race, you have former Democrat Vernon Jones, who is the DeKalb County chief executive, who was running for governor against Brian Kemp, had no chance, was in single digits. Trump wasn't going to endorse him. But Vernon played his cards right. And in a sense, you know, once David Perdue got in the race, at the time, that you know, people thought David Perdue had a pretty credible shot. And so Vernon would take away, siphon away eight, nine, 10 points of that vote. So he parlayed dropping out of that race into an endorsement for getting into the 10th district race, even though he didn't live there, had no, had no connection to rural Northeast, East Georgia, but ran for that district anyway with Trump's endorsement. Trump hasn't done too much. He's, you know, he sent out some supportive statements and things like that. He hasn't held a big rally here since the primary, at least, you know, for either of these two candidates, but he's done robocalls and he's done tele rallies and things like that. 
Well, you know, this is a real hard battle for Vernon Jones because he's not going against just anybody. He's going against Mike Collins, whose father was a congressman in the area who almost beat Jody Heiss almost a decade ago, who has very deep roots. And he can say he's a lifelong Republican, unlike Vernon Jones, who just switched party about a year ago. And Mike Collins is also running an unbelievably aggressive campaign against Vernon Jones and making sure that every voter in the 10th district knows about Vernon Jones' uh, extremely recent history as a Democrat and also about his multiple legal problems and uh, judgment against Vernon Jones in a reverse discrimination lawsuit. And in one of the kind of one of the toughest mailers I've ever seen a congressional campaign uh, put their name on, sent out a big glossy mailer that called Vernon Jones a radical anti-white racist. And uh, there have been other mailers into that district from Super PAC, a Super PAC supporting Mike Collins, but very, very aggressive. And so they are not taking any chances that there's any way that a Trump endorsement could get Vernon Jones across the line. It will be just fascinating. If he does win Vernon Jones, it will be solely because of Donald Trump and his support there, his visibility at those rallies. I mean, you and I went to so many of those Trump rallies and Vernon Jones was the second most famous person there. He was yeah. really became this almost like, you know, well, he was crowd surfing. I guess that's one thing you can, we can all remember, but he became this real character in Trump land. And so can that actually translate to a seat in Congress in an area that you are not from, have no ties to, and really have no business running in other than the fact that Donald Trump thought it was a great idea. (laughs) And we'll know on Tuesday night. Well, Governor Brian Kemp does not think so because he has endorsed Mike Collins uh, in a rare move for this governor, at least, to get involved in uh, competitive primaries where there's not an incumbent who he's already allied with. And there's some payoff for him. He has this political clout is, is, is higher than it. it's been in a long time. He comes off a 52-point victory over David Perdue. And, you know, he, he's, not, he, he's probably in need of more friends in the congressional delegation. And Mike Collins would be one of them should he win. And certainly Vernon Jones would not be one of them, especially given even what Vernon Jones said just a few days ago, where he continues to call the state's first lifelong Republican governor a rhino. And it's particularly hard for Kemp's supporters to hear because Vernon Jones literally just switched parties <laughs> to the Republican Party a year ago. So a lot of dynamics going on in these races. And there's also other important races, Democratic congressional runoffs for you know, uphill battles and several legislative races and municipal races that we'll also be watching, Patricia. So a lot on the docket for Tuesday's runoffs. Yes. uh, The mayor's race over in Augusta, nonpartisan mayor's race, that's coming down to a runoff on Tuesday. And then in the second district, that's an interesting Republican runoff happening down there between Jeremy Hunt, who is a West Point graduate and new transplant to the district, running against Chris West, who has long, deep roots in that district. And this was if readers have been following the coverage in the AJC about a Fox News suit, a lawsuit against Fox News from a third candidate in that race. It was about Jeremy Hunt. He is a frequent guest on Fox News. If anybody listens to this podcast and watches Fox News, he's they've probably seen Jeremy Hunt on their air. He's on quite a bit. And uh, the third candidate in that race, Wayne Johnson, has sued Fox News and Jeremy Hunt and a Fox News host for racketeering over election integrity. And I think that's just a fascinating concept. And I would, I'm going to dig into that in my column for tomorrow as well. That is a new one. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. 
Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, the Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. And we're back to the Politically Georgia podcast from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, along with your other host, Patricia Murphy, for this special edition that sets up two things. We already set up the runoffs, Tuesday's runoffs, all the uh, the news that's fit to print about those, those contests. But the second big thing we want to talk about is today's testimony. Brad Raffensperger, Gabriel Sterling, they'll both be testifying before the January 6th committee. Patricia, we already know so much about what Brad Raffensperger and Gabe Sterling have said and gone through. Look, Raffensperger's even written a book about it. Millions of people have heard that phone call where Donald Trump was encouraging, bullying, cajoling him to find enough votes to overturn his election defeat. But look, there's still value in having the committee kind of put together as part of a broader package. And you never know, new things could come out. And one thing I'm looking at is efforts by Lindsey Graham, the South Carolina Republican, or others who are allied with Trump to also pressure Brad Raffensperger. Because we know a little bit of that, but what we don't know is if there's a, there was a wider spread push beyond Trump's camp to encourage him to throw out ballots that help Joe Biden win. Yeah, we also don't know what other calls Donald Trump made to other public officials, to be honest with you. Brad Raffensperger happened to tape this one and release this one. And so that's the only reason we know about this. Otherwise, it could have been one of many calls that Trump made that people did not record and have not spoken about publicly. But I think it's so important to have that call put into context by the January 6th commission because they are laying it out as a part of this broader criminal conspiracy. And so they will use that. I think this will be a big piece of that proof to show that this was not just in one state. It was in multiple states. It wasn't pressure on just one official. It was on multiple officials. And uh, this is the this is only the most public, most brazen example so far, but there certainly could be others. And so I don't think we are even close to knowing all that happened. And the fact that Georgia is the most prominent example also shows how very important Georgia was to President Trump and remains to Republicans and Democrats who want to maintain control in this country. And so I'm looking forward to that testimony to see what else new we learn and how especially the committee is putting it into context. That could also give us a good indication of the direction that other prosecutions might be going in in the future, including Fonnie Willis's. Exactly. And, and I'm also looking for more, more details on efforts to intimidate lower level elections officials, something Gabe Sterling has talked about frequently, especially in the throes of the 2020 aftermath, about how there were death threats and bullying and intimidation uh, against poll workers, 
against low-level officials who never, you know, who did not sign up for that sort of scrutiny, not public officials who ran for office, but just people who are basically the heroes of democracy, who work every day in and out to make sure that your ballots are counted. As well as one other thing that we will hear more about, not just doing the hearing, but in the future hearings too, efforts to appeal directly to state lawmakers. To uh, You touched on this, but efforts to appeal directly to state lawmakers to overturn the elections in Georgia, Arizona. You know, the, the investigators feel like they've got an entire case they can put together to show that how widespread this is. I think it's also very helpful to see this laid out sequentially. And in the episode uh, that just dropped of The Breakdown, which is the AJC's podcast that looks into this case specifically and Fonnie Willis's investigation into this case specifically, we heard audio from Gabriel Sterling in December, and it was so prophetic in retrospect saying that this is dangerous. This is not going to end well. Someone will be shot and someone will die as a result of all of these efforts by the Trump team. And he was telling Donald Trump to please call people off. Please speak out against this. Make sure that people know that this is not acceptable. And those are the very same kind of calls and pleas that Donald Trump's own staff was making to him on January 6th. And so it was really spooky to hear that audio Knowing what we know now, we didn't know that in December when Gabe Sterling was saying those things. But now seeing how it all played out, it was really prophetic. And I think that's why seeing all these pieces laid out together can help us give a better understanding of what it all means. Exactly right. And that's part and parcel of what the committee aims to do with all these hearings. Even if even if it's not divulging new details, they're pa- in, in some cases they are, in some cases they're not, but they're packaging it together for history's sake. Well, before we go, we have an update on one of the big stories of last week that we talked about on this podcast and we wrote about AJC, and that is Herschel Walker. You know, we, we reported about how there are not just one son, but three previously undisclosed children who, uh, according to the Daily Beast, he had very little contact with. Well, we have new details from Herschel Walker himself. He was at the Faith and Freedom Coalition's National Conference in Nashville. Well, first of all, they knew the truth. You know, I've never denied any of my kids, and I love them more than they I love anything. And they didn't do anything that just made me want to fight harder because I'm tired of people misleading the American people. I'm tired of people misleading my family. Patricia, you know, he is saying he's always been a, a good father to these children, that people should leave his kids out of it, that it makes him want to fight harder. It's telling to me was that he got a basically a rousing ovation from this crowd. This is Faith and Freedom Coalition, a very conservative evangelical crowd of a group run by Ralph Reed, the Georgian who used to run the Christian Coalition, who was a former lieutenant governor candidate way back in 2006 here in Georgia. So a very conservative, very religious crowd. And they're giving him an ovation when he says that he has has long been in touch with his family. And he's he's not, this is not something to kind of uh, mess around with him on. And I think that speaks to the fact that there may be no revelation that we can find out about Herschel Walker that will dent his appeal among a certain group of Trump Republicans and, frankly, Herschel Walker Republicans. I mean, he just has the adoration of, at this point, it's probably millions of Georgians. (laughs) However, he doesn't need to lose all of his support for him to not be competitive in the Senate race. He just needs to lose some of that support. And there is a danger for Herschel Walker right now. It's June. There are six months left until November. How much 
else is out there? What else will we learn? And he can say that it's the media misleading people all he wants. Herschel Walker has only ever publicly discussed one child. That is certainly his business. But when you run for Senate, you must anticipate that these um, this information will come out. And a better strategy is always to get that information out on your own so that you can put that in the context. And as a result, he spent four days getting the story straight publicly and then coming out to put it into context after that in a sit down in front of Christian conservatives and a pro-family conference, which is really just is a great indication of where I think the Christian conservative movement is right now in terms of their loyalty to Donald Trump and their willingness to look past the types of things other people would not have expected them to look past um, in the past. So I wrote a similar story in 2016 when I went to a, a major Christian organization's big rally in Nashville and talked to evangelical leaders about how Donald Trump, you know, how they were kind of overlooking their issues with Donald Trump and his three marriages, his extravagant lifestyles, his celebrity sort of appeal because of his stance on abortion and on other issues near and dear to the evangelical base of the GOP. And I think you're seeing a lot of the same thing with Herschel Walker. Before we go, I want to listen to his son, Christian, who's 20, and his response to criticism from people on social media who were attacking him. And again, the attacks on Herschel Walker were not because he had children out of wedlock. It was because he has such been a, such a prominent critic and urging black fathers to play roles in their children's lives. And so folks were you know, calling some for some reason, Christian Walker, his son, a hypocrite, which I don't understand, but this is his response. Fathers, it would be great if you stayed home and raised your kids instead of ran off to bang a bunch of women who weren't your baby mama. Stay home and raise your freaking kids. Your kids need a father. Get back home. Get back home. If you take out your thing and you get a woman pregnant, guess what? The party days are over. The acting foolish days are over. You go get a freaking job and you support your new family. So uh, he didn't mention his dad there, Patricia. Uh, you can read into it that he's talking about his dad, or you can read into it a lot of different ways. But clearly, this is a really hard development for any family to be dealing with, especially when billions of others are kind of sharing in that. And some are shocked and some are supportive, but either way, it's a painful time uh, to, to, you know, as you can hear from Christian Walker's voice, for him to sort of get attacked for things that his dad did. Yes. And I'm sure, you know, he has almost made a career out of responding to attacks on his dad. He's become a really popular figure on uh, right-wing media. His Instagram has more than a million followers on Instagram. But all of those followers, all of those things really don't matter. It doesn't matter what you've been elected to or not been elected to. We've seen so many families in politics that behind the scenes, it is incredibly difficult and incredibly challenging when your personal family business is becomes headlines. There's just no way around it. And so there's no joy for reporters either to be reporting about these things, writing about these things. But it's also the kind of information that voters should know about if the candidate has also been out there speaking publicly in that context. And that's, uh, again, as you said, that's where Herschel Walker, I think, brought a lot of these headlines to the fore is in very recent speeches saying really critical of Black fathers for not playing a prominent role in their own children's lives. And so that's where this became kind of more than just a one-day story. It became a multi-day story 
and something, again, that he had to go in front of the Faith and Freedom Conference on a stage and talk about uh, with a room full of strangers. That's not anybody's idea of a good time. If he had done this up front, if this was put in context in his own words ahead of time, this would not have really had to happen. But again, that's a choice as a candidate that you make when you get into something like this and this incredibly high profile race against a sitting U.S. senator. And there will be many more stories to come on everything to do with the U.S. Senate race and the governor's races and all these top races that we talked about today. And you can find the latest, the very latest, in the Morning Jolt newsletter, which we think sets the stakes and the agenda in Georgia politics. You can get it in your inbox every morning if you're a subscriber to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And we have a very special deal, Patricia. For a limited time, you can get six months of unlimited digital access to the AJC for just 99 cents. So let me repeat that. For a limited time, you can get six months of unlimited digital access to AJC for just 99 cents. Politics, investigations, breaking news, sports, dining, all of our newsletters, including the Jolt, less than a buck. It's the best offer of the year for the best journalism in Georgia. Go to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast to get unlimited digital access for the next six months, 99 cents. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast so you always know what's really going on. And Patricia, we've got a busy week ahead Uh, We've already taped a few special episodes coming out shortly in your podcast feed. And you can also count on new episodes of this podcast to come out on Wednesday, Friday, or whenever news breaks. So we will see you next time on Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Oh, oh, oh.